Take your Bible to Luke chapter 2 tonight, if you would. We'll be there, just reading a singular verse in a few moments. Luke chapter 2. This is a story about the Lord Jesus Christ, and um, the Bible doesn't say a whole lot about Him as a young boy. There's a great story about Jesus in the temple, and, you know, His mom and dad couldn't find Him, and, you know, did you not know it would be about my father's business? But then there's this kind of sweeping statement made in Luke chapter 2, verse 52. It just kind of summarized what we might call the Lord during His um, young adulthood. And in verse 52 it says this, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Heavenly Father, I, I pray the next few moments as we try... Lord, as Malachi asked for us to do, to raise a godly seed, that, Lord, we'd give attention to this, that, Lord, we think about, Lord, being intentional for those of us who, who are parents and grandparents, Lord, those of us who just care and want to be helped to other people, and that, Lord, we'd listen to these things tonight, and, and where we can, and where it's appropriate, make application in our lives, or maybe to be an encouragement to those, Lord, in this stage of life. And so, Lord, we just ask for your help with this in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you for standing. One of the most interesting social inventions of the 20th century was the distinguishing of adolescent young adults into a yet unknown social group that we contemporarily call teenagers. Now, maybe in our thinking that this demographic group of teenagers have always existed but, but that's not really true. Uh, the teens, yes, those years have always existed, but the separation and special identification of this group as a distinct social group is a relatively new phenomenon. The term teenager was actually coined in 1948 by Popular Science Magazine. Now that's interesting, isn't it? There's always been people who have been 13, 14, 15, 16, you get the idea. But the term teenager was not really deployed in social usage until 1948. And, and there's a lot of social studies I could get into about education and philosophical bents during that time. But my point tonight is that it's new. It's relatively uh, recent. During World War II, a new idea and assumption arose that all young people, regardless of class, location, ethnicity, should share the essentially same experience by spending their education with other young people of exactly the same age in an environment defined uh, not necessarily by the parent, but others, and by popular culture. And of course, we know this as the contemporary public education you know, we have today. And I don't have commentary on that, plus or minus. You know, that's, that's not the point. But again, what I'm trying to tell you is that's not historically the way things have always been. We tend to think that the way things are are the way they have always been, and the way we think and the way people have historically thought, but that's not necessarily true. And what happened with this social invention of teenagers and its prep in this education system is it created a new interlude, um, an interlude of what I'm going to call social development. Uh, 
um, uh, uh, interlude of preparation and self-defining. In the 1700s, let me explain what I mean by that interlude. In the 1700s, and this is very well documented, um, 16 and 17-year-olds would have normally already entered into the workforce. They would have already been skilled at a trade. Many of them would already have been practicing um, newly as doctors and uh, as lawyers. Uh, serving in the military. After that age, many were already married with adult responsibilities, contributing to the society in a very productive way. It just was expected. This idea of adolescence was foreign to the thinking of all previous generations. In many ways, uh, this new notion of teenager has served as a social impediment that has kept them from becoming the people that they are ready to be, or I might say, capable of becoming. And and I would say we judge teenagers far less capable than they really are. All of us tend to rise to the expectations set before us, and when we set such a low bar, well, that's what many people will then aim for. Well, I'm not trying to be negative. I'm, I'm just trying to help all of us understand a, a social phenomenon and, and its outworkings. Well, this allowing of this new demographic before unto known group has come with a host, and I would say far more negative consequences and outworkings than positive. Within this protracted delay of entering into adulthood um, has come what I'm going to call much more intolerable immature behavior overall. It's become a period of indulgence and of juvenile irresponsibility, of unfocused energy, of restlessness, of self-searching, and often overt and outright rebellion. You see, there were forces behind this new demographic group that was trying to create a new economic demographic. Um, You know, there's always a reason behind everything. Uh, A a, a new market that would be easily exploited for advertising. And this, um, what we call this this teenage exploitation in the market, drives so much of advertising and market today. Hundreds of billions of dollars are spent by teenagers. With, with a discretion not often um, adults might give themselves. Money given by them, by their parents, or maybe working a job. But I, I'm talking hundreds of billions of dollars spent on music and movies and snack food and clothing and footwear and a thousand other things that really drive much of the market that you and I as adults are part of today. It certainly drives music. It certainly drives entertainment in in so many of these venues. And so this has led to kind of a conflicting view of teenagers today. In a survey not many years ago, 90% of adults said young people today were failing to uphold such values as honesty, responsibility, and respect. 
Now, I, that certainly isn't true of Eastland Baptist Church teenagers, but if we were to take a larger view and a larger sweep across the nation today, and if you have been you know, immersed in that culture at all, I would say that might be a fair assessment. It might be. Two-thirds of adults today believe that the generation today to be morally um, deficient than the last generation. In a recent Princeton report on criminology, it said that, and, and this, was, this was kind of a, uh, oh, a, a brief summary of, of this, said today's teenagers are fatherless, godless, and jobless, or would be. And there's reason and rationale for that. Okay, now I'm not here to lend commentary on any form of education, or that's, that's not my point today. Um, my kids were homeschooled, they were public schooled. Many of you do Christian school. That's not, any, that, that's not my point. Teenagers are teenagers. It's a social demographic group that you know, exists today. There's not a lot we're probably going to do about that. But we need to know about it. And the main thing we need to know is this, is that these are young adults who ought to act like young adults. And they can be young adults. And <clears throat> part of the fracturing of this is because of the loss of the nuclear family and the input that moms and dads are supposed to have in this demographic. One of the things I've often mentioned in the idea of purposeful parenting is that mom and dads are to be a chief influence in children's lives. And mom and dads are be the, to be the chief influence in teenagers' life. And if mom and dad stops being the chief influence in a teenager's life, then they are culpable for that, not excusable. Culpable, legally liable. And I understand peer pressure, and I understand all the social things that vie for their attention and time, but nevertheless, it's not a reason for mom and dad to see that as a time when they should maybe back up a little bit from the involvement and influence and investment in their children's lives. I, I, I'll contest in a moment, quite the contrary, it's a time to actually take a step forward and to be more intimately involved in their lives and, and to give greater effort. This, you know, the psalmist, again, said, the proverbial writer rather said this, my son, give me thine heart. Lord, um, help me to be the chief influence in my children's lives. I'm not going to be shy. I'm not shy today. I wasn't shy then about asking my children to allow me to speak into their lives, to offer, you know, then instruction today, guidance, and, and maybe an opinion. But again, it's important that I also say in return, by the way, you can look at me and examine my life and judge me by it. And that's what the proverbial writer would go on to say. And so tonight, just very quickly, with a lengthy introduction, I want to talk to you about some of the truths about teens. And teenage years, of course, are years of incredible change, dynamic change. Um, five that, that I see is, number one, as, as, as young people grow older, teenage years are full of new exposure. A lot of new exposure. 
When children are little, they, they're primarily in the home and, and they're involved by, mostly with mom and dad. But as they reach the teenage, teenage years, their world gets bigger. They begin to see more. Maybe it's in school or maybe just out, maybe beginning in, in a first time job. But their exposure you know, really grows exponentially during these years. And during these years, their physiology is changing. And I, I'm talking about hormones that, you know, once weren't in present in the same quantities are now, you know, those two are multiplying rapidly. There's, there's changes in their bodies. There's changing in, in so many ways, physiologically and anatomically. Um, there, there's changes in their psychology. Cognitive development continues. And the brain development continues into the teenage years. There's all these things happening. They're emotionally changing. They're adopting their new, new ideas for their own. They're trying to decide what they believe. There's a great change in exposure. There's a great change in physiology. And a lot of this leads to a greater degree of insecurity. Now, all of us here are insecure to a degree. There is no person who is 100% not insecure. We all share a bit of this. But now think about this. If we're in a time when our body's changing, my voice is changing, my, the way I think I'm changing, what I desire is changing, all these things are changing, my exposure is changing, any of us given that same uh, kind of experience, we would have a level of insecurity about ourselves and about our world. And of course that then creates a vulnerability. Well, what do people think about me? Am I, am I, am I, am I socially accepted or am I not? And, and so there's all these things that are, are swimming in the teenage mind. Um, again, a study in 1988 talked about, you know, the, the, the way the brain changes its thinking during the teenage years. And of course, there's ongoing maturity and the owning of responsibility. But the two words that here that kind of jump out at me is that the teens are, they're in a new space of maybe insecurity and, and vulnerability. And because of that, and again, not just because of that demographic, because anyone sharing those same experiences there may be some unique temptations to them that parents and adults should be aware of. Okay. The Bible talks to us about, warning us about being afraid of the, the snare of man, the fear of man. It's a snare. When you put a bunch of people of the same age, demographic, in the same place, isolated from the rest of the world, I, I'm going to tell you it's axiomatic. Peer pressure is going to be imminent. It's going to be big. So, a unique temptation of teenagers, maybe beyond us a little bit, is that of pleasing peers, of identifying with peers, of, of, of maybe wanting to go along with what peer group thinks and, and, and gaining their approval. Now, here's the truth. Socially, all of us want a measure of approval from each other, don't we? All of us do. But for teenagers, that is especially acute because of some of these changes and insecurities. You know, they're not going to say, here's who I am and here's what I believe and here's what I'm going to do. Because they're inundated with a group of peers all around them. And that's incredibly important to them to have approval. And most of them are going to seek it if they're not getting it someplace else. And so then the influence of friends is incredibly important. And I'll get this to a moment. Having... Friends is such a big deal, and, and friends who like me. And, and so then the influence of an individual friend, which I'll talk about in a moment, is a big deal. Um, for the first time, raging hormones are, are, are governing their body. And, and so physical temptations and relationships is a huge temptation for teenagers. 
casual attitudes. They're not yet uh, having to have full-time responsibility for a job and, and paying bills. They may have some discretionary money. And so it's just easy for an overall kind of eh about life. A, a casual perspective that you, we do not have the luxury of having as adults. There's a temptation with media and music and movies and social media to be a part of that. To withhold the phone from a young teenager is unthinkable. Because then they'd be socially ostracized by the group. And I'm not having an opinion about that. I'm just saying this is what, what happens. They are, for the first time perhaps, accessible to any number of portals of impurity. Phone, computer, iPad, whatever. The idea of idolatry is big in the mind because there's, you know, there's sports teams and, and the, I want to be like this and like this. And today with the plethora of social, uh, what is it, uh, influencers? You know, I want to be like that, I want to be like that, I want to be like that. And by the way, I'm not speaking down to this group. I'm just saying as a whole, that's there. And then today, in a way that no adult in here can comprehend, there is the temptation of maintaining their identity as male and female. Of maintaining masculinity and femininity. And I, and I don't have time for this tonight. This is an entire different series. I might preach sometime. If mom and dads are not actively engaged in this, and on helping young people understand how creation works and the genders God made, there is going to be, for some, genuine confusion. Because the culture is preaching a message. I'm telling you, they're not being as tepid and timid as you are. They're not as shy as you are to talk about sexual things and identity. And they're going to hear a drumbeat of truth, postmodern truth, that if you do not counter that with biblical truth, well, they're just going to be susceptible to it. And so you, the idea of, of encouraging boys to be boys and girls to be go, girls and, and, and to not be too shy about the distinctions and differences there based on God's creation, well, don't be surprised one day. You can't be taken for granted the social capital. There is, it's a gone, it's evaporated. So with these temptations in mind, I, I just want to, you know, help us to think then about, you know, how do we, how do we, work with teens. What, what, what do we do from there? Well, as young people get older, you know, this is, this is all common sense, I think. Guidance has to be there, and in a different way than when they were children. When little children were training them. When little children were giving them ABCs. When, when little children, I, I like it to algebra. You do this, and you do this, and you do this to help them perform this way. But with teenagers, it, it, it's different than that. There's got to be a lot more communication. All of a sudden, this is what, you know, obedience, yes, still is to be expected, but now let's talk about the idea of honor and the, and the idea of respect in, in, in a greater way. Why do we act this way? What do we do things? There's got to be much more verbal instruction about the why we do what we do and the reasons we do what we do. You know, these, these young people, I hope one day will grow up and be part of another independent Baptist church, but they need to understand why, they, why you are a part of this church and why it's important for them to be one day. And I hope they just want to be here because this is a great place and a good spirit. But again, a level of communication and guidance there, you know, really has to be engaged in. And sometimes teenagers, because of the issues I discussed earlier, can go very quiet. And parents are often intimidated by the quiet. But I'm going to suggest that you get over the intimidation and just kind of crash into their lives. 
Go sit in their bed until they talk to you. Take them on a, a long car ride and tell them, until we talk, we're going to stay in the car. And I, I'm being silly. But engage and engage and engage and engage and engage and engage. And don't let quiet. I'm telling you, in a matter of days and weeks, a great distance can occur if you don't stay hooked up and communicate. I mean, a, a gulf in a hurry can happen if you don't stay in there and talk. And so continued guidance and involvement is, is just necessary. And, and mom and dads need to understand this. As your young, young person growing up, you have authority. And you can say you have authority. And you can put the Bible for biblical authority. But the reality is coming that as they grow older, a day is coming when they can make their own autonomous, independent decisions apart from you. And so what's happening here is, yes, you're in a place of authority, but as time passes, that pendulum swinging from authority to influence. The only thing I have right now to guide you, any of you in this room is my influence. Now, you, you might grant me some biblical authority, and I, I would, you know, I think that's right. But the reality is all I have is influence. And with my kids, I have influence. I could try to assert authority, but <laughs> they might laugh at me. They would grant me that, I think. But most of us guided by influence. And you can't lose that. You understand that's coming. And, and so you need to, it's just all the more reason you need to have their heart and have a relationship with them. If I had to deposit one word with you, it's work on relationship. As much time as it takes. <clears throat> continued oversight, continued um, holding on the ropes, don't abandon them, but allow there for there to be some slack there, for them to take a job and, and to do some things uh, a little more independently of you. Trust them. Don't be so afraid to, to let them go. Um, you, you can't hold them too close to the vest or they'll never become responsible and autonomous. If you, keep it, if you keep a child from walking, he, he won't be able to, but if you allow them to, they will. And you have to allow a young person to kind of get away from you a little bit so they can learn on their own. So there needs to be oversight, but also allowing them to grow up and have some adult responsibility. Again, talking and then explanation for all the things that we do. And so, you know, working our way through this, I, I just want to talk. A lot of this comes from experience, and, and I think this is biblically based as well. Mom and dad, let, let me tell you some things that I think you need to be aware of that can hurt the heart of a teenager. Okay, and I just want you to think about this, and I think most of these teens would agree with me. I think one thing that can get a hold of a teenager's heart very quickly, if you don't have it, is simply the world and its entertainment. Worldly entertainment. And by that, I think we should be careful both in the quality of the entertainment they're exposed to, and I'm talking about media, music, social media, all of this, and, and then the quantity of it. To let that go unchecked, I, I think is just absolute foolish. I think mom and dad ought to have some kind of controls over a TV, some kind of controls over the music, some kind of controls um, over social media and this device we call a phone. And I, I don't think it's a good idea to abdicate um, some control there as they grow older, as they get older. You know, they need, they need to be trusted, but um, I, I don't know oversight is ever uncalled for. 
You know, the Bible says in 1 John 2.15, Love not the world and the things in the world. For all in the world, the lust of flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, those things destroy people. And if you're not aware of this, the media has an agenda. Movies. If you, if you think it's just pure entertainment from Hollywood, you are so deceived. The, the, the most innocent of any movies from any producer almost always has an agenda. And it may flash there real quick, but it's there. It's social conditioning. It's, it's social acceptance. It's buy into this. And if you're not aware of it, you know, counter with a Christian worldview, it will hurt them. One of the, the things that most parents should be really careful about is helping their teenager choose and pick friends, guiding that. There's a responsibility here to be friendly and Christian to everyone, but close association should be guarded and protected. Proverbs 27.9 says, As water face answers the face of the heart of man to man. Parents are almost universally not objective. Okay. Examine the condition of your heart, what, tell me of your child's heart, what's it like? Okay. Let me give you a better way to do that. If you want to know what your child's heart is like, don't look at them so much as you look at their closest friend. And then you'll figure out who, what your child is like. No matter what you want to convince yourself of, as faith answered to faith, so the heart of man to man. Two good kids will find each other. Two rebels will find each other. It's universally true. It's biblically supported, and it's socially a reality. That's the way it is. And so it's imperative that young people are a good friend for themselves, but mom and dad ought to involve themselves in direction when a friend is not a good influence. Amos 3.3 says, how can two walk together? Except they be agreed. Proverbs 13.20, he that walk with wise men will be wise, but a companion of fools will be destroyed. There's a time to be a help, maybe to lift somebody else up. But if you're going to do that, I would suggest that when friends have friends over, they have them to your house if there's any question about it. Under some kind of parental supervision and guide. I, I could say so much about that. And I'm going to add this as just a quick caveat. And Brother Styles, this short term is not going to happen. <laughs> when we find our teenagers in a position where they are struggling, especially with friends, um, often what is needed is uh, more structure in their lives, um, more special attention from mom and dad, and maybe even a period of separation from things. I'll be real, this is sort of silly. When Jeremiah was young, um, he got really enamored with girls, which I was glad about that. But, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the attention there was just, too much. It was just a lot. You know, went to camp. It always happens at camp. And came back. And so, you know, Terry and I, we're not going to say, you know, don't do this, don't do this. We want to encourage, you know, liking girls. But just, you know, in the right measure at the right time. And so Terry and I thought, you know, we've got to address this. So Jeremiah, I mean, Terry and I just talked about it. And so I have a good friend in Phoenix, Arizona, Brent Loveless, many of you know him. And I called Brent and said, hey, Brent, do you need any help? And he said, not really. I said, yes, you do. <laughs> And I said, would you mind taking Jeremiah for a few weeks, letting him help there in the ministry, mow the yard, do the grass, whatever. And do you just mind, kind of, I'm asking a favor as a friend, you know, 
being with him in Bethany and having a new experience. So he did. Jeremiah went to Arizona, spent a few weeks with Brent, and he chased tarantulas, brought one home on the airplane. Um, <laughs> had a great time. You know, he came back, and life was good again. There's just enough break there for him to get his brain. And I'm not saying send your kids to Arizona to chase spiders is the thing to do, but there's just a principle there that, that you need you know, to be aware of, and you need to be involved there. Very quickly, teenagers, they are so, they're so smart, and they can be so productive if we would let them. But idle time is a great destroyer. Letting them sit around in the home doing nothing with no responsibility, watching TV, playing video games, or just sitting on their phone, it's always going to be destructive. Ezekiel uh, 16, 49, says, Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom, his pride, fullness of bread, and the abundance of idleness. Idleness will destroy all of us. And again, in this period of delayed responsibility that the, you know, our social allows, you know, teenagers may not be fully able to work a job. And of course, many of them are very productive and, and, and very busy, and I think that's wonderful. But to let them sit on the couch, you know, eating fritos and watching something hours on end, it's just utter foolishness. And it will ruin their heart and ruin their character. Same way Lamentations uh, says about laziness. Lamentations 3.27 says, It is good for a man to bear the yoke in his youth. What's that mean? They should work. Teenagers should work. And if not a job... At your house or for someone or a senior's house, but they need to learn an ethic and a productivity in these teenage years. If they're not going to have it there, they're not going to suddenly have it at 18 and 22. They need to be social contributors, uh, family contributors in your home, working chores, doing things from 13 to 18 until the day they leave so they can go do it for themselves. But we all should bear some yoke. A lack of supervision. We talk about this as a child. Proverbs 29, 15, a child left himself will bring his mother shame. I've talked about that. I could preach on these points, but something that will destroy your teen is a poor example. For you to drag them to church, and then you go home and live like the world. I'm going to say this. It almost would be better for you not to come to church. Now, I, I think God can gather their heart if He doesn't have yours. But that's when a, a calculated risk I wouldn't, I wouldn't do. Amen. To come here and say amen to the preaching and go home and dismiss all of it is unbelievably foolish. A poor example in not having a good work ethic yourself, not having control of your mouth yourself, not having temperance for yourself. Why would any of us do what we're asking a teenager not to do. And if you're not going to be their ultimate example, who can? <clears throat> a low view of the church will destroy your teenager. Well, that preacher sure was long-winded today. And I didn't like what he said. And my Sunday school class, and this and that, and this. If you, if you come in, if you go, you, you, have, you have the preacher for lunch. Why would you be, why would you not think that one day they're going to walk away from that when they're older? This needs to be the greatest place there ever was. Doing the greatest thing we've ever done. That's not just things we say. That's those things I feel. 
and I hope you can feel them. I'm not asking you to be artificial or phony. But I am saying to you, for you not to say great things about Eastland Baptist Church and serving the Lord and being able to be a contributor to the work of God, why would we expect something different from our kids' attitude when they get older? Family fragmentation. Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. Years ago, Time Magazine came out with an article that suggested the single greatest thing any family could do to hold itself together was to have dinner together. The largest financial investment that Terry and I made for years in our home was the, the wood dining room table we have in our house. And it's old and it's huge. It's Amish made. We've had it refinished once. And it bears the scars of 20 years, of, well, more than that, of kids. And we have spent countless hours there eating, talking, laughing, crying, doing life. Now, you've got to fight for that in today's world. You've got to fight for it. I had so many teenagers at one time, I said, one activity, one sport, not all of them. Now, you have your kids, do them all if you want to. We couldn't. Why? We're going to guard some t- family time. Because allowing life in this world to carry us in a thousand different directions, it's just going to minimize and diminish your influence. And I'm not saying you should not let them do anything, because I just said the opposite earlier. I'm just saying to lose the nuclear family too soon is maybe to lose a child without needing to. A wounded spirit. The Bible says, who can bear? Kids can get their feelings hurt in really bad ways, and it is so foolish to ignore it. Um, there was a time I, I think I said something really stupid. Um, I probably didn't mean to, and later we, have, we had family powwows all growing up, and I said, a family powwow. And all of a sudden, one of my kids spoke up and said, well, Dad, you said this. And they said it through tears. And I had to say, hey, I, I, you're, I said that, and I'm really sorry for that. Like, I, I, I can see how that would hurt your, your heart, and, and I, I, I apologize. And I'm going to make that right. There was a time where I got crossways with my kids, mostly my fault, and I had to stop everything I was doing to go spend two or three, I don't remember how long it was, uh, well, about five or six days of uninterrupted time with that child just because they were the ultimate priority of my life, at the time, even above this church. Because I had to fix a wounded spirit that I had created. You can't let that stuff go. You shouldn't with your spouse. And you absolutely shouldn't with your children. You've got to keep your word. You've got to make things right. You, you, we all of us just think, well, time will fix it. Time does not fix everything. Grace might, but time, no. But you can't let a wounded spirit go. And then, you know, just having worldly priorities, which I, I've already mentioned. So, in a few minutes, let me tell you what your teenagers need, and I'll be finished tonight. They need the same thing all of us need. And in greater measure, they need love and acceptance. It is not my intent to criticize this group at all. Matter of fact, I have great admiration for this group. But despite that, you know, mistakes are made and things happen. And no matter what else has happened, they need unconditional love and acceptance. Now, that doesn't mean absence of correction. 
or different in views. But they have to have love and acceptance. I think God loves us unconditionally, does He not? The prodigal son's father loved his son unconditionally. He didn't let him get away with poor choices, but he was always there and expressed his love. Kids need, I need, you need someone to love us. And to say those words, I love you. I have, I get off the phone with all of my kids in all of our conversations in this way. I love you, bud. I love you, dad. I love you, Anna. I love you too, Dad. That may be weird to you. And you say, well, they know that. That's, that. Your style is your style. But God goes to great lengths to say to us over and over and over and over, He loves us. And there's just something in the heart that grows when people say that to us. I love you. I'm proud of you. What I call life's most important words. They need praise and reassurance. It's really easy to be critical of people who make mistakes. We all do. Kids don't need criticism. Critique, yes. All of us need critique, not criticism. Your kids don't. Your spouse doesn't. It grows old, and it wounds the heart. They need praise and reassurance. They need attention and affection. Attention is time. And you, you figure out the way you want to show affection? You know, for me, it's a hug and a, and, and a kiss. And that, that's not weird for me, you know? Um, Maybe weird for you. It's not for me. Jeremiah Gia come home. First thing I do is I hug him. You know, he's 33 years old. It's just, I love you, bud. I don't know if he thinks it's weird or not. I'd make him do it. But um, <laughs> there's something really spiritual and magical about affection. And by the way, if they get enough from you, they won't seek it in inappropriate places. A daughter loved appropriately by her father is safe or safer than she otherwise might be. And it's just something we should think about. Those words are good. To demonstrate that in appropriate ways is good. But they need that. Until they're out of your house, young people need rules. They need responsibility. Um, that, that's super important. And all that needs to be weighted on the other side with a developing and growing relationship. Okay? Don't subtract the rule. Don't be too much friend and no rules. Not too much rules and no relationship. But there has to be ongoing rules and responsibilities around the house and things for this house. And there needs to be relationship that is growing. There are so many of you men that I dearly love. But my best friends are sitting right back there. Those are my best friends. And we talk that way. And that's just the truth. I love all you guys. But those are my closest, most intimate friends. They're my sons and sons-in-laws. But there's a relationship there that lasts way beyond the immediate family. And I'm talking about the time at home. And they need that. If you don't know this by now as a philosophy, I, you know, that I've, I've wasted a good deal of time. You know what kids need or helped by is good memories. Amen. Just lots of memories. I love my church, Fall Festival Day, and all this stuff. I do it some, for some of you adults. 
I'd do it more for them. I'd do it more for my grandkids. If you like it, that's a bonus and a plus. I want these kids growing up remembering these silly things that we did as a church family. I, I, I know they're not super spiritual, but they're fun. And a little bit of that in measure is okay. Because otherwise I do want to be sober and I do want to be serious. I do want to be responsible. I want to be sacred and, rever- and reverential. But I also want some of this to be fun. Good memories of the things that we've done. We hiked together. We rode motorcycles together. We went hunting together. We jumped on a trampoline together. We went to the park together. Um, we toilet papered some houses together. <laughs> we had spaghetti fights forever. It's a mess to clean up, but we always ate spaghetti. As a rule, we always ate spaghetti. And then it was just kind of one day I prayed and just got the notion I threw a piece of spaghetti at one of the kids, wrapped around their ear, and then it was a free for all. You know, they all broke out. And so we just adopt that as a rule. And as time morphed, we said, you know, until I say stop, you can tell me until I say stop, which is pretty quick. And we loved it that we had friends over, and we didn't tell them about the rule. So, <laughs> what was the point? None. It's just a memory. We had marshmallow fights, rubber band fights. Um, we had wrestling matches. Most, I mean, that costs a lot of money. It's just we, Terry and I talked about it. We worked at it. We wanted to have memories. And sometimes we'll sit around now on the holidays and we'll re- rehearse these memories for hours and we'll laugh and think, you know, how, how do we do that? That's just, that's, that's just life. It's a big deal. They need you to be a listener, as stoic and as distant as they sometimes may pretend to be. Who doesn't here want someone to talk to? And if they trust you, they'll talk to you. And you need to listen. You need to listen even if what they're saying is hard or uncomfortable and difficult. But you can't lose the communication with a teenager. It's just you can't. You need to be consistent at home. Try to be the exact same person here as you go home to be. Okay, I understand there's some things we do here. We defer and and whatever. There's a decorum here. But try to be, try to be Troy Rail the pastor. And I hope that that, that that guy right there is the same person over here that's Troy Rail the father. And there may be some incongruity, but I, I hope not much. We, we need to be authentic and real and genuine, consistent in what we expect and who we are. Your teenager needs you to be a parent who they can count on to keep their promises. If you say it, do it. Um, I think I've shared the puppy story. One time I was talking to Rebecca and <laughs> I said, have I made promises? Yeah, you, said, you, you told me to get me a puppy. I'm like, what? Yeah, you promised me a puppy. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. Have I told you this story? I'm going to tell it anyway. And so, you know, Terry and I went on a date to Dallas. And we found a puppy. Because that's where it was at. I found it. And so we're in Dallas, and I take a picture of Terry with a puppy. And because, oh, oh, Dad bought a dog. And everyone replied to the family thread but Rebecca. And so I call Rebecca, and I said, Rebecca, um, look at the family thread. And she looked at it, and we're talking, she couldn't even speak. She started crying. It was awesome. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm going to guess our relationship would still be pretty good. But taking two days out of my life and spending an inordinate amount of money for a dog 
that I, for a promise I didn't think I made, but I implied, it's worth it. It's always worth it. And it's important to kids. And I gotta stop. And then I, I don't know how to say this one. I've, I've read three or four books this, this week, I reviewed a couple books this weekend, and I saw guys develop whole chapters to this idea. I don't know how to say it. I, this, this, this is all I'm gonna tell you. Is try to be real. Just try to be as real as a person as you can. Don't, don't, don't try to approach your kids some kind of sacrosanct way or, or, or overly pious way. Just be real. Be a person of integrity. Love and live, you know, live and love the Lord. Just, if imperfectly, but just love the Lord. Be faithful and committed here. Admit your mistakes. Apologize probably dozens of times to them. For, for your failure, so, so they know that you're trying, and then actually work on the things that you, you make a mistake on. Be vulnerable to them, show yourself to them. Talk to them, communicate. I, there's a nuance, there's, there's just an innate kind of wisdom that, that you get to beg God for, to be real, authentic, and genuine. And be that as a parent, be that as a grandparent, and we just all should be that for these young people's sake. Let's not play games. Let's not be phony. We, we're here at church. We love the Lord. Live the Lord. And I want you guys to one day. And the Lord, help us to be as authentic as we can and a good example.